Welcome. We're glad to have you here. We're in this story. We're doing this thing, this book called The Story, where we're trying to figure out how to get through the entire Bible in 31 weeks, and we're in week seven today. We're glad that you're here. We had an incredible weekend last weekend. We had 258 baptisms last weekend. Uh, I, uh, I'll show you some pictures as we go through it, just some great stories along the way. Um, my favorite story was the story of uh, Mary Ernst is a dear saint in our congregation who passed away last Friday, been a part of this church forever and ever, and her son was in the audience on Sunday and decided to come and get baptized. And I was just thinking, it's so cool to think about Mary after all this life of serving Jesus. She's up in heaven with a ringside seat watching her son get baptized. That just really made me happy last weekend. A lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff. Um, and uh, the, the, we started doing like doubles and, and, you know, doing couples at a time and started, and we made some stuff up. The record last weekend was five. We did families of five all together, um, which worked out really good until we got to the Bafo family. And uh, the, the youngest daughter was on my left, and there wasn't enough room for her to necessarily get in. And so I had to baptize her with my elbow. I just got to show you the video. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's what we call a pile driver baptism. Yes, it is. Okay. And uh, just so you know, I'm going to take the opportunity. Um, I'm going to jump in the tub for anybody that wants to go today. We moved the table up here. We got some seats reserved for you right up here. So if you want to come at the, during the song that's at the end of the service, or if you want to come afterwards or whatever, I'm going to stay in the tub and do baptisms until we don't have any more. Last night we had another 25, and at the 9 o'clock we had another 12 or 15 people that came up and got baptized. So if you're missing out on it, let's do this. All right? One of the coolest things last night, we had a woman who grew up in India, a Hindu woman who came and gave her, faith, gave her life to Jesus Christ in baptism. Just some, some great, great stories, okay? Let me give you a couple of announcements, things that I don't want to forget about because at the end I'm going to be in the tub and, I, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. Just a couple of announcement things. We'll still do the offering at the end, but a couple of announcement things. Number one is Eve's Angels. I'll throw this slide up for you. Uh, we're trying to reach the women in the adult entertainment industry. There's a new ministry going on. Most churches are just like, whoa, all that stuff is bad and we're going to stay away from it. Um, we're going to jump into this ministry that's trying to actually help with strippers and, and people who are in the adult entertainment industry. And if you're interested in being a part of that, um, we've got a meeting set up for you next Saturday. Second thing is, and this is the only other thing, junior hires have a retreat coming up. And I just got to say this, if you don't have your kids in the junior high program and the high school program, I know Kids Connection is awesome back there, but as they grow up, man, we got a, we got an unbelievable junior high program. And if you want to get them hooked in, send them off to this retreat. They'll get to know everybody. Um, we have like 300 junior hires that come every week to meet here and, uh, and follow Jesus. So we'd love to have them apart. And then one more thing. Go vote on Tuesday, okay? It's this week. It's finally here, right? Don't you feel, have you seen this video? I feel like this right now. I'm about done. why you're crying? Oh, it'll be over soon, Abby. Okay? The election will be over soon, okay? Okay. Oh. <laughs> Get off my television. I want my cartoons back. I feel you. 
So, so we're in the story, and I'm going to be honest with you, we're in a hard part of the story today. We're going through Joshua. Uh, I'll give you a little recap of where we're at. But we're going to talk about some pretty tough things today. Um, we're going to we get some meaty things today. So today we're going to make sausage, all right? My, my son-in-law sent me this. Some, somewhere there is Parkview Sausage out there. Um, <laughs> Actually, somebody told me today they sell it at Aldi. So if you're interested in some Parkview sausage, that, they sell it at Aldi, but we're going to make some today. We're going we're gonna, to, we've got some meaty subjects that we're going to grind up and put together and try to help you with some things today. And, and, and I'll explain it as we go along the way. But here's how the story goes, okay? In the beginning, God created. He created everything, and it was good or very good. He created us because he wanted a relationship with us, okay? And then Adam and Eve had the choice to decide to follow him or not, and they decided to disobey obey him and eat the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to. And that brought sin into the world. And that brought chaos into the world. And it made everything in this world become something that is imperfect. An imperfect form of what it was meant to be in the very beginning. So now we have death. And now we have disease. And now we have super storms, right? Like Hurricane Sandy. And just so you know, I'll just, I'll just tell you this right up front. We're going to do the offering at the end. We always give 10% of whatever comes in away because we believe in tithing, like I believe in tithing. Uh, we, we give that to missionaries and we give that away. That's part of our budget every week. You need to know that. But this week, because of Hurricane Sandy and our connections with church planters in New York that are connected to people that really are going to need it and going to get it to the right places, another 5% of everything that you give today is going to go to Hurricane Sandy relief. I was just gonna, I'm going to tell you that right up front. And if you, yeah, it's good. We're going to help. And if you want to do more, uh, we got a link on our website. If you want to do more on your own or whatever, um, you, you got a link on the website. We think that that's important. But the reason there's a hurricane is not because God was judging the East Coast and, and sent this hurricane to douse Manhattan, okay? That's not, that's not what it was about. It was because we live in an imperfect, fragile world. And, it, and it's a world where God started and God's in control of it all, but there's sin in the world now. And, and so what happened then along the way is God chose Abraham to be the father of a nation. A nation that would be a people that would bring salvation to the world. And from that nation, a person would bring salvation to the world. When we get to Jesus, we're going to understand all that. So the nation of Israel was born. But then the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt because of Joseph. And then Moses brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he brought them out of Egypt to take them to the promised land, which is Canaan. Okay, which is where Jerusalem is and all that stuff. He, he brought them out to go to the promised land, but it took them 40 years to get there because they went on the roundabout way to get to the promised land. Here's the map that I showed last weekend. Uh, they were supposed to just, they could have just gone straight up along the coast. Would have taken them just a you know, few weeks, maybe a month to walk all those people up there. Instead, they spent 40 years in the roundabout way of the wilderness and the desert. Why? Well, partially because God, at the first year was because God wanted to help them. And sometimes you end up in the wilderness, we talked about last week, because God wants to help you. He wants to, he wants to help you grow, okay? The other 39 years is because they didn't follow God and they got lost, basically. They didn't have enough faith to go into the promised land, okay? That's what happened, and that's why they were there. And so we get to the end of the life of Moses, and here's the first little chunk of meat for your sausage. Here, here's, here's the first thing that I don't fully grasp out of the story that, we're, that we read today. How many of you read the story from Joshua this week? Show me your hands. All right, we're getting slack out there. Come on. <laughs> Do your homework. If, you, if you're reading through there, there's a couple of things that you're probably like, huh, 
That doesn't seem right. The first one is that Moses does not get to go into the promised land. And did you read that and go, come on. He's been leading these idiots all around the desert. And because of one, one thing, one time when he takes matters into his own hand, when he decides to strike the rock instead of talking to the rock, which doesn't seem that prideful to me, but obviously it was prideful to God. It was somehow Moses' way of saying, I'm in charge instead of God being in charge. And he struck the rock. God said, you know what, you're not going into the promised land. It was, it was not that he died before they got there. It was that, that was punishment for him that he was not going to get into the promised land. And, and that doesn't seem fair to me. If I had been leading those people, I would have struck something with my staff a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just feel like Moses had a really hard job, and there's something about this story that I probably don't understand. But, you know, here's the good news for you today. I'm not God. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah, you can clap for that. My wife, my wife and I have that discussion just about every day. I am not God, right? And this is just an intro to the fact that there is a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that we are going to try to try to grasp that is going to be difficult for us to understand. There are going to be a lot of things. We're going to talk about circumcision this week. There's a lot of things that are going to go on that we need to understand that we're not God. And this is why this is good. Okay, Here's what I've been processing this week. As much as I feel like... I think Moses, after all he went through, ought to have gotten a chance to go into the promised land. If Moses was talking to me directly right now, he would say, Harlow, you need to shut up. Why? Because Moses, instead of going to the promised land with milk and honey, went to heaven with Jesus. And one second after Moses died, he said, I don't need no stinking promised land. Okay? You following me? Which is why as I process this all the way through and I start to understand this, maybe I don't fully understand the situation. I don't understand the the judgment of God on this situation. But I do understand that God's ways are not my ways. That His ways are higher and His ways are better. Okay, so this is really important. When you don't understand Him, you still need to trust Him. There are going to be times in your life when you're not going to understand Him. And it's going to have to do with your own life. And you still need to trust Him. And the good news of this, the hard news of this situation, is there are things that I don't understand and I might even disagree with because I'm this finite little human being down here on planet Earth. The upside of that is that means if God is beyond my understanding, then His power is probably beyond my understanding as well. And whatever problems it is that I'm going to have in my life, God is going to be able to say, you know what, I can take care of that. And I can probably take care of it better than you even understand. So I know you have questions. I, I, I know there are questions from this. But still, first of all, know that you can trust him. Another question, another piece of meat for our sausage. What about the Can- Canaanites? What about this whole deal of wiping out all the Canaanites? Let's make some more sausage. Because it looks like, when you read at first glance, when you read the Old Testament, it looks like the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God, right? When you think of the Old Testament God, you think of the gray-haired guy. When you think of the New Testament God, you think of Jesus. When you think of the Old Testament God, uh, you know, they make the Far Side cartoon, very famous Far, ta- far Side car- cartoon. God at his computer, getting ready to hit the smite button. Remember Bruce Almighty, he gets mad at God and he says, smite me, almighty smiter, right? 
That, that's what people think of the Old Testament God. That, that somehow God was this, this being up in heaven who just randomly decides, well, you're going to die and you're not going to die. Okay? Here's the problem with that. First of all, everybody that knew God personally, really knew God in the Old Testament, wanted more of Him, not less. Think about this for a second. Now think about Adam and Eve. Enoch in the Bible, in Genesis, was a man who walked with God. The Bible says he walked with God and he was no more. Meaning God didn't even allow him to die. God just said, hey Enoch, I like you, come on up. There, there was Abraham, there's Jacob, there's this story of Moses. Moses wanted to go be with God, so God put him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over him and let his glory pass by. He wanted to be close to God. David wanted to be close to God. Solomon, Elisha, Elijah, every person that knew God better than anybody else in the Old Testament was not afraid of God. They wanted more of God. That's the first thing. But none of this whole... Um, situation of death should surprise us. Secondly, because the wages of sin is death. The Bible in the New Testament tells us very plainly that the wages of sin is death. So when you get to the story of Uzzah trying to hold up the ark and he touches the ark and he dies. When you get to the story of Cain and we're talking about today, the people of Noah's time or Sodom and Gomorrah or the New Testament, uh, Acts 5, that strange passage of Ananias and Sapphira. When you get to those passages and somebody actually pays for their crime immediately, when you do the crime, you do the time, they're the people that actually got what everybody deserved. But what you should really understand is the big question is why more people didn't die because of their sin. Because the wages of sin is death. Alright? You want to know who God is? He described himself to Moses early on in Exodus 34. He came down in a cloud, proclaimed his name. Here's my name. Passed in front of Moses, said, My name is the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's my name. That was his constant description of himself. Merciful. Forgiving. That's who God is. Okay? Now he goes on in the next verse and says, I can't leave the guilty unpunished. I have to be the God of justice, but I'm a God of mercy and faithfulness as much as I possibly can. So your question is, does God get angry? Yes. Does God get angry in the New Testament? Absolutely. Jesus is God. Did Jesus get angry? Well, he made a whip and went into the temple and drove people out of the temple because they were desecrating the temple of God. Yeah, he got angry. One time Jesus said, hey, you would be better off with a two-ton rock hung around your neck and dropped into the sea than to mess with one of my children. Those are the words of Jesus. The same guy who said, love your neighbor as yourself. The same guy that said, turn the other cheek. Those are the words of Jesus. Yes, there are times when God got angry. Yes, there are times when Jesus got angry. Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. Why? Because it's real. Because that's what justice is all about. Justice is real. The wages of sin is death. But the rest of that verse is why we celebrate together as Christians today. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. The Canaanites practiced detestable idolatry. They used prostitutes in worship. They sacrificed their children to these crazy false idols. And that's why, the God, that's why God said to the Israelites, it's not because you're good that you're going in. It's because they're bad. You've got to get rid of these people. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of the land. 
but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see that? It's not really any different what we find today with the Canaanites than Sodom and Gomorrah or than the entire world in Noah's day when God said, you know what, you gotta, you, I can't deal with your sin anymore. Justice has to happen. Canaanites had 600 years to turn, change their ways and figure out how to follow the right God and they couldn't do it. Used to be a Christian song that everybody knew back in the day by Rich Mullins called Our God is an Awesome God. Some of you remember that song? And the interesting thing is we would sing that in church, you know, our God is an awesome God, and everybody would just be so pumped up because our God is awesome. But nobody listened to the lyrics. The lyrics from Rich Mullins' song were judgment and wrath he poured out on Sodom, mercy and grace he gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. And what Rich was saying was, let's use the word awesome to describe God. Not Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, awesome, but the awesome that includes the word awe, that includes the word for surprise and shock and maybe even a little bit of fear, that God is incredibly above everything we can possibly understand and that God is an awesome God of justice. And that's important because we live in a society that needs justice. We still have the death penalty today in many states and life in prison for people that break justice. You say, well, how could a loving society send a person to jail? Well, they have to. There has to be justice. And if God is perfect, he has to be just. So then your, your next question is going to be, well, what about the innocent? What if innocent people were killed along the way? Well, God is just. So I guarantee you if innocent people were killed for some reason, somehow something happened, they're in heaven with Moses saying, I don't need no stinking promised land. Because God is just. God is just when Rahab, who's a prostitute, shows up in our story in just a minute. She says, hey, can I be one of you? And they said, yeah, sure, come on in. When the Gibeonites in Canaan tricked the Israelites into letting them into the kingdom, they still were allowed into the kingdom. Anytime anybody came to God and said, can I be in your kingdom? God said, you betcha. Because God is a forgiving and merciful God. But it's still, it's still meat. It's still sausage. I know I can't explain it because it's really, really a difficult subject. And, and I just want to recommend a book. I read this entire book this week uh, called God Behaving Badly. That's actually the cover of the book. Um, God Behaving Badly is God of the Old Testament, Angry, Sexist, and Racist. This is an Old Testament professor, phenomenal read, really helps you to understand some of the nuances of the things in the Old Testament that we don't understand. But listen, do not underestimate, do not underestimate the judgment, the final judgment of God, because God is a God of justice. Here's what Jesus said. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all those things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and they will be and He will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was Jesus, okay? I need you to understand that. Jesus is warning us that justice has to be served and that the wages of sin is death. And then he went to the cross so that the free gift of God could be eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we celebrate. That's why we get together. That's why we're having communion in just a minute. That's why some of you need to get baptized in just a minute to accept that beautiful gift that God has given you and do your sign of the covenant. Okay? So you're like, well, what's the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament? It's not about God. It's about the kingdom. Uh, really, really fascinating. It's about the kingdom. Um, Jesus said, here's the deal. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight to keep me from, to help deliver me from the Jews. 
I mean, Jesus said this. If my kingdom was of this world, then I would want you to go fight and make something happen. As it is, my kingdom is not from here. So no, the Crusades should not have happened. And and we're supposed to be people of peace. And we're supposed to be people who turn the other cheek. And we're supposed to be people who love our enemies. Not because God is different, but because the kingdom is different now. The kingdom is about that. Okay? While I'm on it, you need to vote. This is my opinion. You need to vote on Tuesday according to God's values, not yours. Okay? I, I just want to say that. I, you can interpret it however you want to. Um, but I believe that God is a God who is concerned about justice for all. I believe that God is a God who cares about the unborn. I believe that God is a God who cares about the family. And, and my opinion is that you shouldn't be voting on Tuesday based on what's good for you. You ought to be voting on Tuesday based on what's good for God. Can I get an amen from you? All right. I just need one. I just need one. That's all I needed because that's a lot of sausage. Okay, let's go on. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. Joshua is 40 years, 50 years younger than Moses, so he comes along as the next leader. If you think Joshua's name sounds familiar, yes, he was one of the two spies last week who, as they went into, the spies went into Canaan, there were 12 of them. Two of them came back and they said, you know what, we can do this. God is going to allow us this victory. And the other 10 said, no, the people are big and we felt like grasshoppers and we can't do this and the people listen to them and that's why they spent 40 years in the desert okay so Joshua is now in the unenviable position of having the baton passed to him from Moses okay imagine being the guy who gets the baton from Moses he's the guy who Moses was the guy who could take his rod and throw it down and it would turn into a snake he could pick the rod up he could take it over to the Red Sea and hold it up and the water would part and everybody could walk through he's the guy that could strike a rock and water would come from it he's the guy who talked to God in a burning bush he's the guy who the Bible said talked to God like a man talks to a friend he was that close with God now you're Joshua you gotta follow that dude okay and that's not the only problem you're leading the biggest bunch of whiny children ever known to humanity they whined about everything didn't they they want we don't have enough food God sent manna we need some protein God sent quail we need some water God sent water out of a rock they would complain about everything we're gonna go back to Egypt we just want to go back to Egypt I'm guessing today that maybe you are in that situation that you are you have a formidable situation in front of me in front of you um, somebody sent me this uh, this uh, this thing um, I did all my prep work the guy said is a hunter he said I was gonna go hunting and I searched out all the best location for my tree stand and I set it all up ahead of time and so it was Sunday morning and I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was ready to go hunting and I put on my camo and I loaded up my pack and I approached my stand and it was destined to be an epic hunt and as I approached my deer stand I changed my mind and decided to go to church. Is that awesome? Maybe you can relate to that today. Maybe there's a bear in your deer stand today, okay? Maybe there's a formidable thing in front of you. You're following for Moses, the greatest leader of all time, and you're coming along and you're like, man, there's a lot of job I've got to do. What did Joshua need? I ask you, what did Joshua need to be able to do this awesome task? Because there's a bear in his tree stand. And the answer is the same thing that Moses needed, and it's the same thing that you need, okay? It's the same thing. You need God. Three times at the beginning of Joshua, 
God tells Joshua to tell the people to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And you're like, okay, that's a great pep talk. But how can I be strong and courageous? Because honestly, most of us avoid those bear in the tree stand moments. Most of us avoid moments of trying to follow for somebody like Moses. Most of us avoid the things that we talk about today. Most of us, if, if we're in a swimming pool, we like to stay in the shallow end. Can we just be honest? We like to stay in the shallow end because I want to make sure I can put my feet down. But every once in a while... God asks us to go out into the deep end where we can't put our feet down and where we have to trust. And remember that Joshua was getting ready to lead the children of the generation that was too afraid to get out of the shallow end to go into the promised land. And now he's got a generation who is ready to go. They're ready to take it. They're ready to make this thing happen. So Joshua needs to remind them, and God needs to remind Joshua, and I need to remind you of five simple words that change everything. I will be with you, God says. I will be with you. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, Joshua. Here's the, here's the important news as you take over for Moses. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. That's the most important thing that you're going you're gonna to be able to figure out. So Joshua says, okay, you guys, you ready? Are you guys ready to do this? Consecrate yourselves, he says in Joshua 3, 5. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I want to tell you right now, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Consecrate yourself. During communion time today, consecrate yourself. If you haven't been baptized, come up and get baptized today and consecrate yourself because if you will get out of the shallow end where you can touch all the time, God is going to do amazing things among you. So we get to the first obstacle. This story is hilarious today. I love this story today, okay? First obstacle is the Jordan River. It's the Jordan River, which is not that big a deal. Here's a picture of my wife and I in front of the Jordan River. That's the baptismal site. You can see that it's not really that big of a deal. You could cross the river. It's basically the same size as our retention pond, okay? Crossing the river, no big deal. And by the way, if you're interested... Next Memorial Day, my wife and I are going to lead a trip to the Holy Land. We've never done this. We're going to lead next Memorial Day uh, a trip over there. We're just kind of getting all the details set out. If you want to go, send us an email. We'll start getting you some information because uh, we didn't get baptized that time. We're going to get baptized in the Jordan River this time and, and see the Holy Land and lead a tour over there. Welcome you to come, okay? But, but really, it's not a big deal to cross it except for this silly little verse in Joshua 3.15 that kind of starts the whole thing off the way that it's going to go. Listen to this. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. At flood stage. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of the Jordan at flood stage, okay? Why would God pick the worst possible time to have them cross the Jordan River? Answer? Because that way... They know it was him. You're going to find this a lot in the story as things come along. God is going to pick the worst possible time. He's going to lead you. Why would God lead them right up to the edge of the Red Sea and have the Egyptian army coming down upon them so that he could show up, so that everybody could know that it was him, right? Because it is usually only in those moments when things look hopeless that we recognize God's supernatural power. It's usually only in those moments when things look hopeless that we recognize God's supernatural power. 
So the, the river's at flood stage. Two million people could cross our retention pond, no problem. Two million people crossing the river at flood stage, you're going to lose a few unless God shows up and does something about it. So God shows up and he does something about it. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, remember the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones? A little bit of history here. You got that right. The angels on top, the Ten Commandments, and Moses' rod are in it. And it represents the power of God. And they're carrying it on poles. And it says, I want you to have the priests stick their feet in the water. And it said, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from, listen to this, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it piled up in a heap a great distance away. In other words, as soon as their foot touched the water, stuff was going on upstream. I just love that. There's a whole other sermon here about when God works upstream in your life. Don't you find that? When, when you realize, when you look back at your life and you realize the miracle that God has done in your life, you realize, you know what? He was already working upstream and I wasn't even paying any attention. That's how He works. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. They crossed the Jordan River right by Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. So they get across the river and there's Jericho right there. Imagine this, okay? You remember the first time you ever went to another country? If you've ever gone to a foreign country, and the first time you stepped foot on that country? I mean, when I was a, when I was a kid, I remember going to Canada for some reason. We were, we were somewhere close, and we went into Canada. And I remember going in and being like, oh my gosh, I'm in another country now. I've got to get some coins, right? You know, there might be some French language stuff. You remember that feeling? Okay. They're, they were, they're having this feeling magnified times a million. Come on. This is the promised land. That God promised Abraham hundreds of years ago that they've been talking about while they were slaves in Egypt that all this stuff has been going on. This, they're, they're standing on it now. They're over the river. They're in the promised land. And there's Jericho. Can't you just imagine that the people are like hyped up and they're like, Woo, we're here. Let's go take Jericho. And God said, yeah, this is awesome. Let's go take Jericho. But hang on. First, I want the men to get circumcised. Did you read that this week? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining this speech. I'm imagining Joshua up on his horse with his face painted blue and white, you know, and he's up on his horse, and he's, he's just, that's Joshua right there, and he's ready to go, and he's like, dying in your bed many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this to that just for one chance to come back as young men and tell your enemies that they may take our lives, but they will not take our... Hang on. You want us to cut off what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm a, how is that a good battle plan? Which is exactly the point, my friends, isn't it? I mean, if God needs these guys to be in good fighting shape, He is not going to ask them to get circumcised. That is not what's going to happen. But what, what's the situation here? Well, I'll tell you the situation. For some reason, and, and, and health people have figured out that circumcision in germ-laden cultures like that was actually a good idea, and they were supposed to get, God told them to get circumcised as a sign of the covenant. Okay? And uh, hey, you know, I just want to tell you, the sign of the covenant today is baptism, and if you haven't done that yet, I would hurry up and do it before God changes his mind back. 
Well, I guarantee you we wouldn't have had 258 of those last weekend, okay? But God, God told them to do that as a sign of the covenant. And they were supposed to do it when they were eight days old, when they were babies, right? And they didn't do it. For some reason, while they're wandering in the desert and they're making all these other stupid choices, they stop circumcising the baby boys. So these guys have grown up and they're uncircumcised. And God says, listen, before we go do this, you've got to show me that you're in. You've got to show me that you're really in. And so they're going to do it. It's a bizarre story to really think about. You know, we're getting ready to go to battle, but I want you to get circumcised. Here's the great news. These younger, this younger generation of, of the children of Israel said, hey, if that's what God wants, doesn't make a bit of sense to me, but I'm going to trust him. And they did it. And they got circumcised. And then they healed and now they're ready to take the city, okay? So, so they get to the city, and Jericho has two walls around it. There's a, a six-foot wall, and then there's an outer 12-foot wall around the city of Jericho. It's very well fortified. And a French guy up on top yelling down at them, I blow my nose at you. Your mother was a hamster. I'm sorry, I just... <laughs> It's a formidable wall. There's a problem here. Cows coming over the top. They don't know how they're going to do this, okay? And the people are ready, and they got circumcised, and they got the be strong and courageous speech, but they get up to this wall, and they're like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to get down this wall? And God says, okay, here's the battle plan. They're like, cool, what are we going to do? We need a battering ram. We got explosives. What's going to happen? And God says, march around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. And have the seven priests carry ram's horns, trumpets. There's a ram's horn trumpet. It's called a shofar. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the city give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse. And the people will go up, every man straight in. Now Joshua is a guy who is, he's a leader, he's a commander, he's done this before, right? This is probably not his battle plan, right? This, this is never your battle plan. This reminded me, somebody sent me some funny things from the newspaper a couple of weeks ago, and this was one of them. Six men, their faces covered with red bandanas, got out of the Cherokee carrying a knife, Billy, a baseball bat, billy club, and a rolling pin. Davis said, I knew when I saw the rolling pin that something bad was going to go down. <laughs> You don't want to mess with a guy with a rolling pin. I mean, come on. You, you don't want it. When I saw the shofar, when I saw the ram's horn, I'm sure the people of Jericho, can you imagine? Can you imagine the people of Jericho up on the wall? They were the Frenchmen. They were saying, your father smelt of elderberries. They were doing that. Look at these idiots. They're just marching around the wall. How is this going to work? And here's Joshua, this battle, this seasoned battle commander, who's thinking to himself, man, uh, my strategy, my plan did not include the words marching band, okay? Uh, this is not part of what I have in mind. But he knows he trusts God. He's like, okay, God, is this what you want? Maybe, God, do you have possibly somebody on the inside? Is that how this is all going to work? And God says, of course I do. Good thinking, Joshua. I have somebody on the inside. It's a prostitute named Rahab. <laughs> to which Joshua had to think, Okay, all right, hang on, God. Let me make sure I got this. You made me inflict a very painful personal wound on all of my soldiers because we're not going to fight them anyway. And the plan is a marching band and a shout. And that's going to work because we've got a prostitute on the inside. Is that correct? 
And God says, yep, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm making making light of that because, again, as we talked about along the way, there are going to be times, maybe this is how you're feeling in your life right now. You just don't understand, God, this and this and this and this, and and, and you you want me to do this, and it doesn't make any sense. It's about trusting God. What is God doing? God is stacking the deck against himself. God is making sure that when the walls come down, everybody knows that it was God who knocked the walls down and not any human being. So what I want you to do is identify for yourself <clears throat> what that wall is in your life. Okay? What, 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 are the, what are the formidable walls that are standing against you right now? I know that for some of you it may be health. And maybe you got bad health news this week or there's something ongoing in your life and it's this wall that you just don't see how you're going to get through. Maybe it's relationship, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's kids, whatever, parents. There's a relationship issue that you just don't know how you're going to get through it. Maybe it's a financial wall. I mean, everything's going to be okay after Tuesday, right? But, but I mean, other than that, well, you've got a financial wall in front of you, and you're trying to figure out how are we going to get through that. Let me tell you something. God wants you to be strong and courageous. He wants you to be strong and courageous but not because you're going to do anything about it, but because God is going to do something about it. I want those of you who, to rem- who can remember your English language to notice um, this, uh, th- th- this phrase from Joshua 6. If you remember English class, pay attention to the tense here. I want you to know that this is before the walls come down. This is before they go into Jericho. Joshua 6.2, it's very important. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See... See those walls there? I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. I have. What is that? That is past tense verb in a future tense situation because it hadn't happened yet. That's bad grammar. But I want to tell you something about God. God is never tense. You can tweet that one if you want. God, T-E-N-S-E. God is never tense. He is never in a tense. He is never in past tense or present tense or future tense because He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You understand this? So God is not limited by time. So when God says, I have given you this city, even though the walls are still there and the king is still there and the soldiers are still there, I have given you this city and I want you to act like I have given you this city. Why is that important to me? It is important to me because God has told me some things that I need to get out of the shallow end and get into the deep end and say, listen, if you promise this, I'm going to live this. God has promised me a promised land. He's promised me that I'm going to heaven. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm going to heaven. I claim that promise. I know that I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good, because of Jesus Christ, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me. I can live that way. And there are a whole lot of promises in Scripture. You're going to find out that 14 times in the story that we're reading, 14 times God says, I have given you this land. And if God has said, I have promised this to you, it is past tense, whether it's happened or not. Do you understand this? Now, don't go making stuff up. You know, God promised me a Ferrari. Well, don't claim that promise, because no, He didn't. Okay? But, But if He gave you a promise, you need to learn to live... In the past tense, you need to learn that in the beginning, God, and God created everything, and God is the one who's in control, so you don't have anything to worry about. It's past tense. So they march around the city for seven days. On the seventh day, they blow the trumpet. 
They gave a big shout, and the walls came down. All they did was play the trumpet, march, and shout. I mean, they didn't have like a subwoofer hooked up to the band. <laughs> there wasn't anything that rattled. There wasn't anything else they did. It was completely the power of God. And the walls came down and they conquered the city. So what are the walls in your life? What is that formidable thing that is standing in opposition to where you know God wants you to be? There's a piece of paper in front of you, uh, in the chair back, just a plain old piece of paper, just a little thing for you to use. What I want you to do, I don't know if you notice on the way out, there are God is bigger boxes for you on the way out. What I want you to do is a part of what we're doing, kind of an experiential part of this, and we're going to do something else too. But what I want you to do is write down whatever that thing is that is standing in front of you, that raging river, that bear in your tree stand, that formidable wall, whatever analogy you want to use, what is it that's keeping you down? What is it that, that, that you're having trouble getting past? Write it on that piece of paper, and just on your way out, drop it in the God is bigger box, and then go home and watch the bears and relax. Okay? Because God is in control. It's now past tense. And if you've got some issues that you really want to get some help with, we're going to have pastors available for you up front. We're going to do baptisms again. We've got room for you to come and sit up here, and the table's up here. We didn't move the table from the back to up here because I wanted you to have an easy opportunity to come up and do this. And you can wait till after if you want or whatever, but we're going to have people, and I want to encourage you. And we're going to have a song at the end you're all going to be standing for, just a, a song of commitment you're going to listen to. During that song, if you want to come up and, and get prayer, if you want to come up and get signed up, come up and do it. Like I said, we've already had, I don't know, uh, 35, 40 people already this weekend, after 258 last weekend, who followed Jesus into baptism. Do that, okay? I asked this week on my Twitter account and on Facebook, uh, I said, can you give me five words that have robbed you of your strength and courage? What are five words that kind of represent the wall for you? They've robbed you of strength and courage in your life. And I asked people to comment on that. And I got a bunch of comments back on, on Twitter or Facebook like, you'll never amount to anything, but they won't like you. You will never make it. You have to be perfect. I'm not good enough. It's too late for you. You messed up too much. No one will want you. It's never going to happen. You're just going to fail again. God doesn't love you anymore. It was amazing how quickly people could come up with five-word statements that represented something that was robbing the strength from them or something that somebody had told them that robbed strength and courage from them in their lives. But God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. What did he say? Five new words that you could be strong and courageous to help you. I will be with you. Say that with me. I will be with you. That's what God said. He said, you can be strong and courageous. I want you to be strong and courageous. How? By knowing that I will be with you. I can knock your walls down with a flick of my finger. I don't need your help. Whatever your problem is, I have promised you that I'm going to take care of you, and it's past tense. Whether it's past tense in your life or not, it is in my life. Understand this. I will be with you. And Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit, and His Comforter is going to come, and He is going to live inside of you, and He will be with you. And then the very last thing that Jesus said as He was ascending into heaven was, I will be with you always.
even to the end of the age. I will be with you. Listen to what he tells Moses one more time. Joshua 1.5 No one will be able to stand up against you. Claim this promise. All the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So today I'm going to challenge you to let your fear say its prayers today, okay? To get out of the shallow end and start trusting in God a little bit. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. We're going to do a little call and response right now. I'm going to give you nine different situations. And by the time we get done with all nine of them, I hope that everybody in this room is, sta- is standing, okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. What is it that you struggle with? The first one, I'll just give you the example, is going to be doubts. Do you struggle with doubts? Is that your wall? And then I'm going to say, I will be with with you. And I want you, if you do struggle with doubts, I want you to jump over in the deep end and I want you to stand up, literally stand up and say, be strong and courageous. That's your response to me. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to ask you nine different things and whatever it is that applies to you, stand up where you are and say, be strong and courageous. And at the end, I'll have everybody say it with us and we're going to have a song of response. I'll go jump in the tub and I'll lead communion from over there. Are you with me? All right, here we go. Do you struggle with doubts? I will be with you. Are there people that accuse you? I will be with you. Is there a wall in front of you that's too high for you to see over and too wide for you to get around? I will be with you. Do you feel beaten down? I will be with you. Do you feel like you can't trust anymore? I will be with you. Do you feel like there's a scary and uncertain future ahead of you? I will be with you. Mm -hmm. Does guilt and shame control your life instead of God? I will be with you. Have you been living a life without hope? I will be with you. Last one. Do you feel like circumstances are holding you back from the life that God wants you to live? I will be with you, God says. Say it all together. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Get to the end of Joshua and... um, It's that very, very famous passage. If you were reading the story this week, you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Joshua gets all through his life. They win all these amazing battles. He's had this great journey of walls coming down and God doing amazing stuff. And he gets to the end of his life and he knows he's getting ready to die. And he gets in front of everybody and he says, look, I'm getting ready to leave and you're going to have to choose what you want to do. And he says, you can choose to follow the gods of these other lands, these fake gods of the other lands, or you can choose to serve the Almighty God. He says, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're going to have the opportunity to do that right now. As we take communion, we're going to pass these trays. There's two cups, one inside of the other. Um, There's bread in the bottom cup and juice in the top cup. Just take them both out as they come by and hold them for a moment. And this is your way of saying, I'm going to choose to serve God. I'm going to choose to get out of the shallow end of the pool, and I'm going to get into the deep end of the pool, and I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to believe that whatever it is that he's promised, it's past tense for me whether it's happened now or not. And I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to believe him that the walls are going to come down. And we're going to pray for you. But you've got to live like you believe it. 
And part of that is by acknowledging and saying, I do want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. So what I want to do right now before we even take communion is ask you to repeat that with me. Because some of these people are going to come and get baptized right now. And, and, and this is what we like to do before people get baptized. We like for them to repeat the good confession. What Peter said to Jesus when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said this, and I want you just, everybody repeat after me, will you? He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He is my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, there are people in this room that are going to take communion, and it's going to be the first sign of the covenant for them. You said it was the cup of the new covenant, and, and as we pass these trays across, there's more than just a piece of unleavened cracker and some grape juice in there. This is the symbol of the covenant. This is one of the symbols of the covenant that you have given us, that you're given us to be able to follow you and say, I'm, I, I'm following Jesus, and I'm going to claim that his death on the cross is what's going to pay for my sin. And I know I'm not good enough, and I know I can't follow him, but I'm thankful I live under the new covenant where he has called me to go to heaven based on what he did and not on what I've done. And Lord, I pray that you will be with us as we do that. Maybe there are people who are doing this for the first time today. We've had a lot of them get baptized in the last couple of weeks. Maybe there's some who are going to come and get baptized at the end of this service, Lord. I pray for them. Another covenant sign that you've given us where we say, okay, we want to be in on this deal. Lord, for all of us as we take communion right now, we do believe that you are the Christ. We do believe that what you have said is true. We do believe that you're way beyond our understanding and that you have the power because in the beginning God, and in the beginning God created and you have the power of everything. We give you control of our lives right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.